The David saga written over 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel is one of the greatest stories. The assigned text for this Sunday were supposed to be chapters 11 and 12 from 2 Samuel as we were to describe and talk about David as a lover because he had, oh, so many wives and concubines. But as a close reading of that, I could not with any integrity stand before you and preach a sermon of David the lover from that. It's David the sinner that we're going to talk about today. Although I want to make sure David did love deeply. He loved deeply his sons. So it's just that I will say from the text, I'm going to say that David is the sinner for this week. Um, So with that, Pixar's first studio release was the movie Toy Story. It earned three Academy Awards and more revenue than any other movie released that year. Since then, Pixar's more than two decades success is founded over a very unique ability that they have to make a kid movie that is very, very attractive to adults. Bright colors and lots of animals appeal to the kids, whereas very mature and insightful storytelling absolutely captures adults. When Apple decided to make a watch, you can customize the face on your watch, and they put the characters Buzz, Woody, and Jesse from the movie Toy Story as options, and I promise you that's not because of the kids, it's because of the adults that wear those watch that love to see Toy Story scampering across their watch. You might smile remembering the movie Inside Out or Up or Finding Dory. Through its movies, Pixar has become a moral teacher of our age. Each film is cast with very complex characters who possess charm and also have some fundamental human flaws about each of them that tend to be their downfall. Each movie has a very rich storyline, but it actually follows a very simple six-point story structure. It's just six points, and each movie follows it. Once upon a time, each day, one day, and because of that, and because of that, so then. It works. Once upon a time, each day, one day. Because of that, because of that, so then. The endings are not expressed as happily ever after because there was a tragedy or a tension or a real difficulty that was overcome by the characters, but it does restore wholeness and it absolutely throws you forward because it is a kid's movie. It is a kid's movie. Pixar's devotion to such clarity inspires us to examine the story of our lives and particularly the stories of Holy Scripture so that we can distill out the noise and make sure that we find the truth. Written by those in exile, the David saga attempts to make sense of the monarchy's rise and ultimate fall because that's the source that they identified as the misery of their Babylonian captivity. Consider the book of 1 Samuel. Once upon a time, God's people lived in a promised land. Each day they praised God and lived according to God's covenant. One day, though, they felt very vulnerable to the other tribes whose kings protected them. Because of that, they asked their prophet Samuel that they wanted to have a king as well. But because of what Samuel knew, he said, no, no, no. A king will only one day take your sons and daughters, your wives, and your vineyards. But Samuel then found them a king who rose in power and later turned cruel. That wasn't a happily ever after ending, so its story's not done. 
At the time of the monarchy's rise, a prophet was both a truth teller, a priest, and a pastor all in one. He was to care for the people, the leader, and ensure that God's word was heard and known throughout the land. Nathan was the successor to Samuel as a prophet. So here another story within the David saga. Once upon a time, a shepherd boy was chosen to be king. Each day, David governed and upheld God's commands as he grew in power and in wealth. One day, though, David took another man's wife for his pleasure. And because of that, she became pregnant. And because of that, David had her husband killed to cover up his adultery. Then God sent his prophet Nathan to speak the truth to him. And before I read how Nathan carried out his sacred task and actually read our scripture passage for the day, please pray with me. O oh God, you have spoken to us through the stories of old, teaching us of your love and how to live with one another. May these holy words of scripture speak to us now with the same power and clarity as they have through all of the ages. And may our meditations ensure that we remain faithful followers of your son, who was your word incarnate. Amen. Listen for God's living word as I read from 2 Samuel, portions of chapter 12. Nathan came to David and said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich man and one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat the meager fare from his plate and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was loath to take one of his own flock and have it prepared for the wayfarer who'd come. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because of this thing that he did and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have given you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in God's sight? Here ends our reading. Now, Pixar certainly did not invent imaginative storytelling to teach morals or to illustrate a message. They modeled the beauty of the parable for its stealth effectiveness to deliver a message that would otherwise fail if you tried to tell it with blunt honesty. You see, our minds, we can defend ourselves against rational arguments. So from the oldest of time, a parable has been a way to lure a listener in to a story, kind of like you deliver a Trojan horse into it, but they don't know it's a Trojan horse. They just see something attractive and they get attached to it such that when the story turns, they are convicted by their own actions or character flaws themselves. Given David's ruthlessness in killing anyone who stood in his way, Nathan risked his life when God sent him to confront David. So Nathan began, two men, one rich and another poor, 
leading David to think he was presenting an injustice within the kingdom, soliciting the king's judgment and punishment. Now, as an aside, Nathan's parable is the earliest one told in scripture. Of course, Nathan's story showcases a tender animal. This you would eat the poor man's food, drink from his cup, and lie with him. And lest we forget, David, as a young boy, was a shepherd, and he might recall how it feels to love a young animal, to care for it, and to receive its affection. And as an aside, this is the only story in scripture in which animal is presented as what we might consider a pet. Recalling an experience of innocent love, David snaps when he learns that the sheep has been taken and slaughtered. David condemns the man and in turn implicates himself. You are the man, unleashes the parable's trap, letting David know that God knows of his sin. It's one thing to do something that you know is wrong, and it's a much deeper abyss to lie in when you know that it's a sin and you know that your sin is exposed for all to see, most of all, God. Nathan speaks for the Lord, I anointed you, I gave you Saul's kingship, I gave you wives, I gave you the house of Israel, and I would have given you so much more. God gave and David took and took and took. Seduced by royal power, David had grown to love himself above all else. For 500 years, the great statue of David has stood in Florence, sculpted by Michelangelo to celebrate this shepherd's boy's victory over the mighty Goliath. It embodies, it absolutely embodies male perfection. But today, micro-cracks are appearing about ankle-high in the marble, and it's jeopardizing the ability for this statue to stand in the future time. What looks like a towering figure of strength is actually quite fragile. Now, certainly Michelangelo did not plan these flaws, but aren't they so appropriate given the chiseled character that it represents? Because David had many flaws. David grew to believe the press releases that his conquests were due to his prowess and not his God-given talents. David relished the wealth and he behaved as if he was above God's covenant. He neglected his duty to love the poor and he certainly did not protect the weak. You see, leadership is fraught with the risk that in order to rise as a leader, you need a certain swagger about yourself. That's what makes you attractive and people inspire, inspires people's confidence. But if you believe in your own swagger, you become blind. Like so many others who become leaders, David succumbed to the hubris that manifests as an inability to admit that he has any weakness, let alone sins. So in our own time, think of Richard Nixon or Bill Clinton or Rod Blagojevich, names from the recent past who had an obligation to care for the good of people. Or consider the litany of church leaders across the ages and all denominations whose ordained duty is to shepherd people, and yet their desire for personal enjoyment wreaked havoc. And oh, for those of us that read the journal or the times, you don't even need to read those. 
Among corporate leaders, it's rare to hear an admission of guilt unless the grievous acts damage shareholders or cross a regulatory line. And even then, it's usually the company's spokesperson who admits, or maybe even not, to the lapsed affair rather than the responsible individual. But standing before Nathan, David has no choice. And for all his flaws, he does have one thing. He musters the courage to admit his sin. Later on in the reading, he very strongly states, I have sinned against the Lord, and he pleads for God's mercy. Does the story end happily ever after? No, it's far from it. David's actions set in motions of destruction that even he could not halt, and they continued for generations. But as immediate as David's confession was, so too was God ready to forgive him and give him mercy. God looked away from his sin, and David did not receive the punishment of death that even David thought was necessary. This king does love, justice, and mercy, and this king does bow before the creator and judge of all, and that is God. Though he only has a bit part in the story, the hero is really Nathan. And isn't that usually the case? Those who stand up to the mighty, to risk it all to tell the truth, may be ostracized by their communities. They might fade into history, or worse yet, they may lose their lives. You think about there was Samuel in the beginning of the story that I told who warned the people not to trust in princes and in powers. There was the prophet Micah who spoke to the top 2% of his time against the systemic greed that they had and oppressed the other 98%. And Micah called for them to love justice, do kindness, and walk humbly. It didn't go well with Micah. And there was Isaiah who saw a time when swords would be beat into plowshares. You see, throughout time, people have been speaking truth to power They've been using stories, they've been using prophecy, or they have used their very lives to tell a story of God's love. And today, we see Nathans everywhere. On Thursday, there were thousands of employees who walked out of their employer, Google, from their offices in Mumbai and Dubai and Dublin and Mountain View and across the world to say to leaders in that company, Everyone needs to be treated with dignity. They were protesting a $90 million payout to a former executive who had been known to sexually abuse an employee. Or consider the man, Wasi Muhammad. He's the young executive director of the Islamic Center in Pittsburgh, and he stood up to say, if you need people outside of your next service protecting you, let us know, we will be there. Muhammad said he was merely repaying a favor, for the Tree of Life Synagogue had made that same offer to them following the election and the subsequent spike in hate crimes against Muslims. And this Tuesday we know that there are rookie politicians across the country who are saying to the establishment and to us, we can do better. We can do better. These are the stories that our lives tell. They are risky stories to tell the truth. But we know also that that's what we need to do. You see, there is this first century parable teller, first thought a prophet, 
but we know him as Jesus. His stories chipped away at all of the acceptable structures of the time. His stories ensnared religious leaders by condemning the way in which they preyed upon the marginalized so that they could elevate themselves. Jesus confronted anyone who attempted to deny others their God-given dignity. And then this gospel truth started out as just a whisper amongst a few followers, and it was kept alive by those who wanted to listen and those who wanted to make sure that the truth would always be told in the face of power. And truth has endured throughout the ages. Let me close with another simple six-point story. Once upon a time, Jesus hosted a dinner for his closest friends. In every land since then, Christ's followers have remembered his saving grace at his table. And today, we gather again to do this. Because of Jesus, we are joined with those saints who have gone before us. And because of Jesus, we are forgiven and reconciled to God. And then we will leave this table having received the greatest gift ever, the grace of Jesus Christ. God's grand story is our story of salvation written in love, and it is created for us to have a future. May it be so. Amen.